Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining with us for this week's podcast. Before we begin our time together, as per usual, I just want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community in the next little bit. Coming up on May 15th, we have a newcomer's lunch on site at the church. It follows the 11 a.m. service, and if you're new with us in the last little while or you haven't come to one of these, we'd love to have you. It's a good time to hear about the vision of the church and meet the staff. And if you're interested, you can register online and the event is free. This week, our returning speaker is Dr. Gordon Smith, and we're thrilled to have him join with us again. And the best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd really love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you are joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Greetings, good people of Southview Church. A privilege and an honor to be with you again. I'm going to be speaking today on the theme of hospitality, especially hospitality in the context of meals. It merits noting that eating and drinking are not merely physical actions. They are also deeply spiritual ones. That is that meals are acts of fellowship with God and with one another. A meal is never merely about food and physical nourishment and sustenance. A meal is always about the the engagement with the one with whom we are eating. When we eat and drink, we are brought into a connection, a social, emotional, and spiritual connection with those with whom we eat. Jesus was one who is often portrayed as being at table, at meal, at table fellowship, And much of his teaching emerges from conversations around those meals. Jesus ate with with his disciples, which would have surprised no one. That is what a teacher in the ancient Jewish world did. that the, The rabbi would have eaten, had meals with his followers. But Jesus also ate with those with whom it was thought he should not be in fellowship. And this was, for many people, scandalous. He was accused of such things as it is a variation on the theme of he should not be eating and drinking with those people, with those, and they were often summarized as tax collectors and sinners. That is, he should not be eating with them because he should not be in fellowship with them. But Jesus ate with others, and often, as noted, it was an occasion for his teaching. That is the case for us with the text for today. Jesus is at table fellowship, but not only at meal. He's also teaching And in this occasion, his teaching is about meals as an occasion for hospitality. The text in question is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 24. Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Please listen carefully for what I'm reading is God's word. 
He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slaves to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. And another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Thus far, God's word. Let us pray. God of all grace, grant us, I pray, this grace, that by your word and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our minds, rekindle our hearts, and strengthen our wills. Grant us this grace, we pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus, the risen and ascended Lord. Amen. Two things are happening here in this text. First, as, we, as noted, Jesus is being, as is noted, Jesus was being hosted by a Pharisee for a meal. And more, at this meal, there, was a, there are a series of exchanges and Jesus says some rather provocative things about meals and hospitality. In response, I hope to highlight two things. First, to speak about what it means to offer table fellowship, hospitality, and second, to what it means to accept and receive the hospitality of Christ in the kingdom of God. And between these, I want to make some passing remarks about the Lord's table as a pivotal way by which we both offer hospitality to others, but also, and most notably, receive the hospitality of God in Christ. Jesus is essentially making two points. First, Jesus has a concern. That when we offer welcome to those who we are going to host at a meal, that we have a propensity, he suggests to us, to welcome those who will make us look good or feel good. And he suggests thereby, maybe this isn't true hospitality. He challenges the propensity to offer table fellowship to those who pay us back or by implication through some means enhance our position, our credibility. So that is, we do it for what we're going to be gaining. Now, it is important to stress that in offering hospitality, table fellowship, come to our place for dinner tonight or whatever we might be doing, it always has implicit an understanding that we're going to be enriched by this encounter. My wife, Joella, and I enjoy welcoming guests for dinner. 
And when we do, we anticipate a delightful, rich conversation that will make, that we will be the, and we will be the better, better for it. The perfect number, in our opinion, is eight. Eight people for a shared meal and then eight people together after the meal for conversation. But Jesus' point is that true hospitality is never purely about what we're going to gain or the benefits that will come our way. And thus he speaks about those at the margins, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These are the ones you should be inviting. Noteworthy, these are, it's implied on the one hand, that these are those who have little to give back to you. They're highly dependent. And then also, everybody would have immediately, his hearers would immediately recognize that they were also, those people were also viewed as impure and therefore not welcomed into the temple. As church communities, we know that a vital dimension of our common life is that we offer hospitality to those who might show up as guests to our worship services. And no doubt, it sometimes crosses our minds that a guest might ultimately be more than a guest. They might actually bring a tangible benefit to our church community, a financial, political, or social benefit to our church. I do not know this world as well as many of you. I spend my days in an academic institution. And so I wonder, as I hear what Jesus is saying here, what implications of what Jesus says would apply to my life and my work in a Christian university and in a graduate theological seminary. We have this program at Ambrose University called the President's Scholarship. Every year, high school graduates compete for a full-ride scholarship named the President's Scholarship. And they get four years of their education entirely underwritten. I do not personally actually have a say in who gets this scholarship. The process is an extended one they apply, they write essays, they make applications, they describe their lives, their circumstances, their contributions within their high schools, within their churches. And then the finalists, this year there were seven finalists, they come to the campus and they are interviewed with and they have to make presentations to the faculty. And eventually the faculty vote on who it is that's going to receive the President's Scholarship this year. As I said, I don't actually have a vote. I just get told at the end of the process, here's the name and here's the phone number. And therefore, and then I get to phone them and advise them that they have won this scholarship. And it's, you know, it's a good reminder to me that stop complaining if I think I have a hard job. This is one of the, one of the perks of my job that I get to do this. What I'm impressed though by every year is this. That these are always a very impressive group. Top students in their high schools. Straight A's, of course, it goes unsaid. And we want them in our university. They are leaders. They are articulate, thoughtful, and smart. They value excellence. Every university would value having one of these as their students. They will do well. They will go far. They will be a credit to our institution. I look on them with a little bit of curiosity in that this was not me coming out of high school. I passed my courses, but frankly, I often just got by. I would never have been on this list. I would never have presumed to apply to, 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 to compete for this kind of a scholarship. As I said, I got by and I ultimately went on to university and eventually, well, one thing led to another and I did well by the time I got to the end of my university studies. But for those of you that are B and B plus kind of students like I was, I want to say hang in there. Just stay the course. You may not be in this category, but 
Who knows where it's going to lead you? But yes, we offer these top students a generous scholarship package, and it is fun to host them on campus and get to know them and imagine them as our students. They will be a credit to us. As I said, every university in Canada would be pleased to have them in their student body. In some cases, there's an added benefit to our university. If they are gifted athletes, they might help us in our rivalry with a sister institution based in southern Saskatchewan that some of you would be familiar with. Or perhaps, what about one of our graduates who a couple of years ago went on to the Juilliard School of Arts in New York City? That was a feather in our cap. So, if you're a top A student and a gifted athlete or musician or both, we roll out the red carpet. We say, welcome to Ambrose. But I wonder, if we were at this table fellowship event with Jesus, what would he be saying to us? What would be his words to us? What would be his equivalent to us of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? I wonder, would he say to us, do you welcome the student who comes from a broken home, perhaps, who is struggling to find himself and control his anger and will likely just get by academically? The young fellow in the back row of the class with his hat on backwards? Do you, at Ambrose, do you welcome the student who struggles with mental health issues, anxiety disorders, perhaps? Do you welcome the student who has learning challenges, and will you be there to support her all the way through to graduation? Do you welcome the student who self-identifies as gender fluid and wonders whether our school, your school, so much a part of the conservative evangelical world, will welcome her? or perhaps better said, we'll welcome them. Do you at Ambrose University welcome the student who in midlife or in her older years wants to go to university or seminary, but now fits the category of a mature student, not the stereotypical undergrad or seminarian? That is, in our situation, we ask the question, who are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? What would Jesus say to us? I am eager to hear the voice of Jesus and the call to ra radical hospitality. But I'm also aware of this, that we are only truly welcoming and, hospi and hospitable if we have experienced the radical hospitality of God. And here's where I find it helpful to think about where and how we experience the table fellowship of the triune God. I'm thinking very specifically of the Lord's table, the holy meal that maybe in your context you know of as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or Holy Communion. In my growing up, I grew up in Ecuador, South America. I, um, this was not a happy meal. Once a month, tacked on to the end of a regular worship service, we were asked to participate in this meal and we were told to examine ourselves lest we bring judgment upon ourselves and for others. We were reminded that this was not a place for sinners, that if we were sinners, we were not welcomed at this table. This is the table of judgment. But what if, what if this table is not so much the table of judgment? What if it's the table of mercy? That is, rather than get your act together so that you're worthy to participate in this table, what if it's always, this is gift and nothing gift, nothing but gift, and the wideness of God's mercy is being manifested to you. And I wonder if 
we only truly offer hospitality to others, especially those to whom Jesus calls us to offer hospitality, when we realize that we live under and in the mercy of God, when we realize and know this at this table, that we are not welcome to this table because we managed to get our act together or because we're a credit somehow to Jesus and to his kingdom, but rather we are the poor, the pathetic, and we come and he welcomes us. But then we transition to the other point that Jesus is making in this text. He speaks about those that were invited to his table and yet made excuses about why they weren't going to come. It's really interesting. He challenges those who are buying and selling real estate, those in ranching, and those who are newly married. But clearly, we're not to take it personally if we fit one of those categories. Jesus is rather challenging all who might make an excuse for not being all in with Jesus without responding enthusiastically to his welcome to come to the table. Because here's the thing with Jesus. If he offers us hospitality, there can be no caveats, no qualifiers, no yes, but. Nothing like I'm 80% interested and committed, but really I'm not necessarily all in. What I want to be able to say, not only here in the context of the church community, but also in the context of the university that I mentioned earlier where I serve, that this is a constant message for us. We offer you, I hope, radical hospitality regardless of the circumstances that you bring to the university. But this is a constant message for us that ultimately it's all about being Christ followers. Women and men who will do whatever they are called to do Go wherever they are called to go, called to be whatever Jesus calls them to be. So yes, you are welcome, but now join the program. This is the agenda to become together 100% Christ followers. Women and men who have known the mercy of God, the hospitality of God, and now seek to be what he is calling us to be in this world at this time. Whether God calls us to serve in education, the arts, business, or religious ministry, whether the call is local or global, there are no conditions, no caveats, no excuses. And thus, I want to say to young people, do you want to be part of a community like that? Then join us. And that surely is the case for this congregation as well. We offer hospitality to all who come. Here in our gathering, we meet Christ in real time at the table, at the table, and we are offered his hospitality and we come. Ideally, all in. No caveats, no qualifiers, no excuses. We ask, Lord, what is your calling on my life on this day in this week? And along the way, show us how we can be more hospitable to those who are, as you put it, poor, crippled, lame, and blind. May it be so for each one of us. Amen. As we transition now from the word to the table, from the ministry of the word to the ministry of the table, I invite you each to take your cup and your wafer and have it ready. The Lord Jesus, of course, is present to us in both, both in the word and in the table. And what we read in the ancient text is that Jesus gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body that is given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup and he spoke of this cup as 
the, as the sign of the kingdom that is yet to come, the symbol of deep joy in that kingdom. Let us pray. God of all grace, this is our prayer, that you would take this bread and this cup and by your spirit that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ Jesus our Lord. Strengthen us, nourish us, and keep us. Protect us. Grant us the grace for the living of these hours, of these days. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The body of, the body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now as you go in the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you his peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.